and welcome to the Record Rangers podcast. I'm Johnny McFarlane and today I'm joined by regular potter of the Sunday Mail, Scott McDermott and Gary Ralston of the Daily Record. Today on Record Rangers, we look back on the Motherwell game and review where it's going wrong for Graham Murty. We talked to Gary Ralston about his controversial article on the record where he advocated a clear out for next season. And we look back at the events of April the 7th, 1993, 25 years ago this week, when Rangers faced Marseille at the Velodrome in a de facto European Cup semi-final. But before we get on to that, guys, we've had today the very, very sad news that uh, Ray Wilkins has passed away, age 61, following uh, uh, complications following a heart attack. Gary, what are your memories of, of dealing with Ray over the years? Great guy. Um, duly gentleman, both at uh, Rangers and at Hibs. I remember one of the nine in the row guys telling me, who was it? Was it Ian Ferguson or um, might have been John Brown? But they used to have the kitchen above the at the marble st- top of the marble staircase at Ibrox when they used to go for their lunch. And uh, one day the couple of the guys went up there and this guy was a spitting image of Ray Wilkins and he was sitting there and they introduced himself, full head of hair, introduced himself as Ray's brother Terry. He says, uh, Ray said, I've just come up and got a bowl of soup and a sandwich. So one by one, all the first team squad come in and, you know, they were introduced to Terry Wilkins, who was Ray's brother. This guy there, spitting image of Ray Wilkins, but he's uh, he just a full head of hair. And so they were sitting, you know, just making polite chit-chat with this guy that they thought was Ray Wilkins' brother. And then just at the end of lunch, Terry Wilkins got up, took his wig off and walked back down the marble staircase. It was actually Ray Wilkins himself at the wind-up. So, uh, so he wasn't without a sense of humour. But they'll, they'll, there will be others who will know him better, who will have, uh, you know, fonder uh, recollections than me. But uh, a terrific player and a, yeah, an absolute gentleman as well. I mean, I'm the same in terms of uh, the couple of times that I spoke to Ray just for, you know, you would phone him for kind of Rangers-related uh, news, you know, for the paper to get reaction to stuff. And just such a humble guy, you know, when you think of the level that he played at and the clubs that he played for. Um, but he always always seemed to have time for you, nothing, nothing was ever an issue. Um, I spoke to Derek Ferguson about him at the weekend just for... A wee bit in the Sunday Mail, and he was the same. No, as a young player at Rangers, when when Wilkins came in, no, despite where he'd been, uh, he couldn't believe just how much time Wilkins had for the young, the young Scottish guys at the club. Um, and then Gary touched on it. No, when he played at Hibs, I was listening to the radio at the weekend. Just a wee simple story that Tam McManus told. I don't know if you, if you heard it. No, it was one of the kind of YTS boy. Ray Wilkins was forty at the time in the event at Hibs. But it was one of the YTS boys, like 18th birthday, and Ray Wilkins, and this guy that played with PSG, AC Milan, Man U, brought the boy a birthday cake in for his birthday, 18 year old kid that wasn't even playing the first team. Um, which was a great story. So, yeah, unbelievable. He thinks 61 years old. It was only last week I was listening to him in Talk Sport, uh, doing, his, doing his punditry. Um, I remember well, uh, I remember quite vividly. As a kid, his last game at Rangers um, against Dunfermline, when he actually cried coming off the coming off the pitch, um, and that just showed how much he loved his time in Glasgow and loved his time at, at Rangers. And in his in his day, was a, an unbelievable midfield player. Amazing clubs: Chelsea, Man United, AC Milan. What a CV he had! But I think for Rangers fans, the one that they'll remember, the moment they'll remember, is that incredible volley against Celtic in the 5-1 game I think it was in 1989 
and the, the, the commentary. 88. Uh, sorry, 88. I don't know your history, pardon, <coughs> yeah. pardon the expression, but uh, 88, and it was significant that game, as, as, as you can look back in history and see how certain ones were. Um, August 2000 when Celtic won 6-2 at Celtic Park was another occasion. It represented a change in the guard. That's, yeah. That year Celtic had just won the double and uh, and Rangers come back uh, that year and it was the first season, I think, for um, for the nine-in-a-row season and that 5-1 victory really set the set the tone for what was to come for you know the next uh, um, nine seasons or so um, just in terms of, 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 of Rangers' dominance. As I said, in the same way that in August 2000, uh, Martin O'Neill came into Celtic Park and a real thumping victory over uh, over Rangers um, laid the foundations for Celtic to uh, to wrestle back the bragging rights for a for a for a for a few seasons uh, after the after the Adrica era. Some goal that volley. I mean, it's only you don't see it that often now, but it's only when you actually look back at it. The technique and the volley was unbelievable. I mean, the commentary was good as well, wasn't it? Um, was it sheer genius from Ray Wilkins? Uh, a goal made in England, That's I the think, one. was the, the commentary. Stevens throwing that butcher flick on. Yeah. But the actual technique and the volley uh, was was unbelievable. You boys have obviously seen that, seen that, watched that goal a few times, eh? Aye. Uh-huh. Oh, Just <laughs> one, once in a while. <laughs> uh, they show it at Easter Road at half time. <laughs> He's a fine player, and you, you forgot as well Paris Saint Germain. Although I, I appreciate that uh, Paris in the, in the early eighties, well, still a significant club, yeah. or not as they were just now. But yeah, a, a huge CV. So uh, God bless Ray Wilkins. I don't think he had these troubles to seek with these, uh, you know, um, uh, alcohol issues in, 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 in latter years. So we can only hope that he finds a he's found a wee bit of, wee bit of peace now. But sixty one is, is no age at all. Absolutely. Okay, moving on then. Um, we are going to now talk about the Motherwell game, have a look back on it. Quite frustrating, I would think, for Rangers fans, and certainly from the, the guys that I've spoken to over the last few days, Scott, there has been a, a real sense that there's lessons not being learned by the management team in terms of the setup and the formation and the way they're going about the games. What, what was your take on the, on the game? Uh, no good enough. Johnny, um, far from it. Uh, Graham Murty spoke after the game about you know, how pleased he was in terms of asking the players for a response at half-time and obviously he felt as if he got it. But the first 15-20 minutes of the second half, as much as Rangers did get back into it and were the better team and had a bit of pressure and, and got the goals, it only papered over cracks really. The first half performance was was unacceptable. And, and where the you know, where the players obviously did listen to Murty and did give him a response at half-time, more worryingly was Murty's comments about, you know, talking about the first half, he says you know, the players basically didn't carry out what he'd told them to do in the first half. He said they'd worked all week on Motherwell's strengths, where the you know, the areas where Motherwell were going to be dangerous. He actually said he had pinpointed areas of the pitch where Motherwell were going to deliver from, but Rangers couldn't stop it. So... It's okay saying, yeah, I got a response at half-time. I was pleased we get, we get a point out of the game. Clearly, they weren't listening to him. Players weren't listening to him for, for the full week leading into the game because, as I say, that first half was, was miles off. It was so ragged, so exposed. Um, didn't compete with Motherwell despite knowing how, how they were going to play. Um, it could have been, been more than two down at half-time. 
Gary, we've been banging on about the midfields for the last few podcasts in terms of the way Rangers always seem to end up two against three in there. Was that a big factor in the game for you? Oh, listen, you can t- four four two four five one three five two six four zero. Doesn't matter, right? Ultimately, at places like Fur Park, it comes down to attitude. And see, we talk about tactics two in the midfield against three and three against four. Managers, tactics change all the course of a game anyway. You see how a team lines up at the start of a game, and then within 10 minutes, it's, it's, it's switched and changed anyway. The reason Rangers didn't win at Fur Park was, was this down to attitude. They were sloppy. They didn't get in the faces of Motherwell what they needed to do. Um, they're better players, and they failed because they were overawed. Um, and they were, it was a it was a cowardly performance because they were overawed and they didn't do enough to counter Motherwell's threats. Not because they didn't know what Motherwell's threats were going to be, but simply because they lacked the self belief, the commitment, the passion, or whatever. Here's the truth about Scottish football, particularly when you're playing for the Old Firm and you go to places like Fir Park. The first half hour, you have got to win the right to win the game. You've got to win the battle to allow you to play your level of football. And the way you do that is is by sheer physicality. It's not always about playing good football. It's not always about um, dazzling runs. We won twos and we triangles. It's about digging deep. It's about showing a bit of passion, showing a bit of commitment, getting a tackle in, staying tight, showing the opposition you're up for the fight, and then you beat them with your superior ability, and your superior fitness. That's how you go about doing it. Rangers were far too passive. They lacked aggression. Um, they looked overawed. They looked cowed. And some of the players looked as if they were wilting under the responsibility of even trying to lay down a challenge to Aberdeen, never mind Celtic in, the, in, in, in top place in the league. So where does that leave Graham Murty for, from your point of view? I don't think Graham Murphy will be there at the end of summer and, 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 and I think most people can see that anyway and, and I think he's been put in a fairly invidious position by the Rangers board right? I appreciate why they had to do it, they had to look around and say well there's there's nobody much better um, but it looks to me as if um, Rangers really need now, they've been kind of floating along in this sense of kind of limbo now for far too long um, probably for the last year and even before that when before Kashinia came in as well. So that whole club has been floating in, in limbo and they really need now to get in a manager, give that manager the three or four years that he needs to get his players in, to get his philosophy entrenched in a group of players that he can trust. And only will then only then will Rangers become better than Aberdeen, never mind getting close to Lena Glove and Celtic. I agree, pretty much, certainly with Gary's assessment of the, the game, no no, no solidity, no character, he's, he's totally right, no, you, the first first 20 minutes of a game, no, you need to go and kind of stand up and, and show the other team, of course when you play for the old firm, teams are always going to be up for it, especially at home, uh, and you need to establish yourself the first 20-25 first minutes, Rangers didn't do that, as well as that, no, defensively so poor, again, um, I mean, I had a, a look at the table again today, and you see the goals. Rangers have lost. I mean, they've lost. I think they've lost more goals now than Hibs, Hearts, Kilmarnock, and Aberdeen, um, which just isn't good enough. And Saturday, you've got a guy, all due respect to, to Curtis Main, you no, know, a guy picked up for for buttons for Portsmouth. He's up against a, a Euro 2016 winner and Alves, a seasoned international, uh, an ex Premier League player, and Russell Martin, and he absolutely. 
ragdolled the two of them for the first first 45 minutes. Just no good enough. Rangers, in games like that, as Gary says, have to set their stall out, be solid defensively, you know, grow into the game, and eventually, as he says, they're better players. We'll, we'll go and, we'll go and I, win it for I me. think you've got to look at I, I like Graham Murty, right? I think he's doing a, a, a difficult job as well as anybody could expect him to do, right? So I don't want to be too hard on him, but you've got to sometimes look at his team selection, and for me, it beggars belief. I don't think he's the greatest player in the squad, but it beggars belief to me why in games like that Jason Holt doesn't play. And I'll tell you for why, because for my opinion anyway, he's the one midfielder that he's got who's got a bit of drive and a bit of energy and a bit of passion about him. He'll close down, he'll snap at heels, he'll press high, and that can get your team up the pitch. You know, Rangers stood off Motherwell and allowed them to play through their own midfield, whereas what they should have been doing is pushing Motherwell right on and forcing them to knock long, which might have allowed Rangers to play the game more in Motherwell's half. Um, so there was a, there was an alarming lack of tempo about Rangers in the middle of the park, and I think that a player like um, Jason Holt, um, for all although he's false, he doesn't score enough goals, he doesn't create enough goals, but he has got a degree of energy about him that will at least allow um, the opposition to to fall down around him because uh, if he's pressing them, then unfortunately the sad story with Scottish football is that you don't have players that can make and take a pass under pressure, particularly at that level. So so, Holt, so, Holt, so therefore Holt had a wee injury on Saturday, but he wouldn't have started anyway. Uh, if Holt comes out, Gary, who goes? Who who comes out to, to accommodate Holt? <clears throat> I don't know. Well, I think the boy Greg Doherty's disappointed me. He's supposed to be a box to box player. He looks far too passive. He looks lacking in confidence. He looks as if at this stage anyway the move has probably been a wee step up too much from. I can appreciate why he wants to play Josh Windass because he scored the vast majority I think he's only scored two or three goals at Ibrox this season 14 or 15 goals in a row so you can see why he's maybe wanting to play Windass in there but for me Windass is just, he's a Scottish hide and seek champions at, yeah. champion at times he just hides in that hole he drops behind the front line and he doesn't contribute in a defensive sense necessarily and then you know he's only wanting to become involved in the game in the, in the final third it's not good enough that's what I'm saying you win the right to establish yourself in the game and then you can play in the opposition's final third the type of game that he place but you've got to earn the right first just want to touch briefly on uh, Bruno Alves and Russell Martin how do we assess that partnership going forward do we think that Ross McCrory is going to be brought in there because it, it looked a bit one note one pace to, to me to me the the, the, the the partnership at the centre of the Rangers defence it looks to me like the worst it looks to me like the worst pair in Glasgow seen since the uh, Bernie uh, Bernie Winters he brought turned up at the Glasgow Empire <laughs> There's there's, 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 there's there's no pace about them, there's no energy. Yeah. The number of times Russell Martin's... And I, listen, again, I, I think there's a lot of merit in Russell Mar- Martin. He's had a fantastic career at Norwich. We keep saying, oh, wait there, he's, you've got to wait until he's match fit. Well, I'm sorry, he's had games now to come in and prove his sharpness. The number of times that he's he's, he's losing defenders and they're playing, a, a, a playing on the wrong side of them. And Big Alves, somebody said to me the other day, I stole the line, he's like a rusty bike. You know, play the play with the game in front of him. Throw balls into the box. He's good in the air, but you get him on the turn, then he's then he, then 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 he's murder. Particularly when you've got two fullbacks that like to bomb forward. And then when you talk about physicality, you get guys like James Tavernier, who again, to all intents, has had a decent enough season. But the second goal, he's, he's just bounced yeah, like an you know inflatable. It's like a beach ball. Um, the, the way that the boy bounced off him, and then he's up looking for a foul. You know, my goodness, Bobby Shearer will be spinning in his grave. Martin, Russell Martin's gave away three penalties. So far, he's only been here three months. I mean, he looks like a right back playing at centre back, <sighs> doesn't he? 
Well, I mean, he has he did play at right back, obviously for Norwich, but he's played like he's a lot of games at centre back, so he's no alien to the position. Um, but to give away a penalty a month, I mean, I know, I know two of them are handballs, but that again, for a guy who has experience, just isn't acceptable. And Gary's right, no pace about the two of them. Never thought I'd hear myself saying, "No, Rangers are badly missing David Bates," but that's the way it looks at the moment. Uh, he's young boy Bates is pretty much looking like the best centre-half at the club right now. Um, and in terms of McCrory, I think he will come in because Murty's a huge fan. The punters will want to see him come back. Whether he comes in at centre-half or as the anchor in midfield, again, he'll let others push on, I'm not sure. But I, I'm expecting McCrory to come back uh, very soon, maybe even in, in Saturday against Dundee. Seems like McCrory, Gary, is desperately needed in both positions. Well, uh, funny, we had a uh, name drop, name drop had lunch recently with Sir Alec Ferguson just a couple of weeks ago there, <laughs> as you do. 115 bottle of red, pound bottle of red wine, but that's another story. <laughs> but you didn't uh, pay he for chose it, it no. Um, expenses, and, uh, uh, expenses or something else. Uh, but anyway, we were talking about Alec McLeish and um, Sir Alex was uh, reminiscing about the time when uh, Alec McLeish came through at... Uh, uh, at Aberdeen it was actually Billy McNeil who gave uh, Alec McLeish his debut one season he played a couple of games and then he dropped out of the team altogether and Sir Alex arrived and he liked the look of him but he had Willie Garner and um, uh, uh, Doug Rugby in the centre of his defence so he said what he did was he recognised the boy was only 19 Alec McLeish and his parallels McCrory so he said I put um, Alec McLeish in the centre of midfield because he was less vulnerable there you know, the thing about being a central defender more than being a young yep. striker is that if you lose a goal, it can really badly affect your confidence. Um, so you're you're out in the wire, you know, uh, out in the edge of town in the, in the centre of the defence when, when you're a young kid. So he put Alec McLeish into the centre of the midfield just so that he would understand the game around him. And he did that for a few months and then it, it gave him the kind of education, if you like, of, you know, the sound like Mark Warburton, pitch geography and the likes. And <laughs> then it allowed him to step back with a wee bit of confidence where a couple of dozen first-team games under his belt and then he established his um, his partnership with Willie Miller and the rest is history so I think unless needs must he'll put Ross McCrory into centre half but I, I just think wonder wonder if if McCrory comes back whether he might be tempted just to put him into that that, that midfield area um, just so he can see a wee bit more of the game there I, I think McCrory I think McCrory will eventually become a defensive midfielder um, I think that will eventually be his best position but just talking about Martin and Alves, I just wonder whether he'll, you know, because of that lack of pace, he'll want McCrory in there, either with one of them or even with two of them, in a, in a back three. Now, I know Graham Murty isn't renowned for you know, changing formation or, or systems as yet, but I just wonder, at, you know, getting into the kind of post-split games, whether he might try something and go three at the back, um, get Taverne and John further up the pitch. Granted, you would need to lose a Candias or a Windas or, or whatever, um, but three five two might be something that he, that he looks at because of the lack of pace at the back. McCrory um, could solve that problem for him, potentially. We've talked about a lack of competition and excitement, and of course, Celtic are running away with the league, but the second-place battle pff, is heating up. I mean, Aberdeen 62, Rangers 59, Hibs 58... 
Gary, out of the three teams, who's your current pick to come second? Well, in fairness, I've not seen Aberdeen for the last few weeks and they've been there over the course of the last two or three seasons. I was at Hibs last night and Neil Lennon did in kind of Forrest Gump fashion said Rangers were like a box of chocolates. You never quite knew what you were going to get with them. Um, and the others are kind of Revels quality to, to Rangers. You know, are you going to get the coffee or are you going to get the, the <laughs> strawberry cream? You know, caramel. you don't know. Uh, the, or the caramel <laughs> one. Uh, caramel ones were always the best one. Um, so, so, so there's that. Um, but I've seen Hibs... Uh, the last couple of weeks and uh, and I've liked what I've seen um, five league wins at home at Easter Road for the first time since 2001 um, they're looking very solid they're the form team just now out of the the, the, the top four even including Celtic um, and I like them and they've got John McGinn to come <laughs> they've got John McGinn to come back in the midfield and Neil Lennon to come back down for the director's box <laughs> onto, the, uh, onto the touchline I don't know whether that'll be a help or a hindrance to the players but I like uh, I like Hibs and I like the boy uh, Kim Berry as well for them yeah. too so so, in fact, I uh, asked Neil Lennon last night who he reminded me. He says, I, I, don't, he says, I don't know. He says, who do you remind you? Ask me, who does he remind you of? And I think he's, he's taller, but he reminds me, maybe it's just the way that he runs or wears his shots, but he reminds me a, a, a lot of uh, a young Kenny Miller. You know, holds the ball up well, works the channels well, really selfless in, uh, in attack, does a lot of good work for his team. Um, I think um, I think Lennon's picked a plum there. So I, th- so I, fancy, I fancy Hibs to have a, a significant say in it um, and Rangers fans will be hoping that Aberdeen beat Motherwell in the Scottish Cup semi-final because it's a possibility Rangers could finish fourth Scott is, is Hibs an example of a team that have been formed in their manager's image a strong character who knows what it means to win and has put that perfectly to his players yep and also and where I think uh, where I think Hibs have probably got an advantage over Aberdeen is that they seem to react better in big games, no, and especially going away from home. I don't think you think of Aberdeen now uh, and Derek McInnes's record or Aberdeen's recent record of going to Ibrox and Parkhead. It's obviously terrible. Everybody knows about that. <coughs> we feel with Hibs, there's just no fear there. We feel Hibs going to Celtic Park or Ibrox with Lennon in charge doesn't seem to be a problem for them. Uh, they've shown that this season, not phased at all. I agree with Gary. I think they're the ones with the momentum in the forum. Are probably a team you don't want to don't want to face at the minute. Uh, I think Camberry has been a great find. That that three five two that we're talking about Rangers might might look at Hubs of kind of mastered that in recent recent months. And the best bit about that team is Gary Touchstone's that midfield when they get McGinn, McGeeck, and Scott Allen together um, and playing the way they can. Uh, there are. No, they're a force to be reckoned with. Well, see, I think you're being a wee bit unfair are they in the mirror image of Neil Lennon, in which case you would automatically think a, a kind of physicality and, a, and aggression, which they do have. But Hibs are good to watch. You yeah. know, Don't tell me that a midfield that's got John McGinn in it, a midfield that's got um, Scott Allen in it, and the player that we missed out, I think he's arguably been Hibs' best player, Martin Boyle. What, yeah. a, what, a, what, a, what, a, what a pace he is what a delivery he can put across you know what a bamboozler he is of opposition defences too and also you've got you've got Dylan McGeoch sitting deep and I think he's the most improved player in Scotland this season as well certainly Scottish player he's a terrific wee player never wastes a pass always there to take and give and take and give and take and give something that we don't have a, a lot of Hibs first goal last night against Hamilton Ackies sweet series of one-two passes in the yeah. round the box before Canberra fired one into the bottom corner 
it was as good a goal you'll see in Scottish Scottish football. I was going to say as good a goal you'll see, but it was came the same night as Ronaldo's for <laughs> uh, against Juventus. But however, it was th- it was Topo. it was a terrific si- strike. So yes, Hibs are strong, but I wouldn't say that they're overly physical. They've got a real uh, real dynamic quality about them going forward as well. So Gary, you've already said that you think Murty will be in charge to the end of the season. I suppose the question I want to pose to you is. Given that we've got the split about to come up and given that it's going to be best v best for the last the last few games of the season, should Rangers be thinking about getting somebody else in there, somebody with a bit more experience? Yeah, but but but, but, but who? Where are, they, where are they going to go and pluck a boss? Are you going to go back to Aberdeen and say, oh, going to give Derek McInnes and can you, can you let him come now? It's not going to happen. Um, are, are they going to go and, you know, go, go and find it? The, the, the great thing about them is that they have to get somebody in. You would assume by... Uh, certainly by the middle to the end of May because you've got pre-season and then you've got the European trips which are crucial because um, Rangers actually came close uh, a, a little remarked point on their, um, their financial figures for which by the way that they themselves must take responsibility but they lost their interim results are a loss of about 1.1 million um, you know there's a big chunk of that was into uh, paying off Cachinha um, but if they'd got a European run, then they would have been, you know, close. They still need the shareholders' loans. I get that, but they would at least be coming close to uh, closer um, to washing their face. So that European football is, um, is is absolutely key. But I don't think anything can be done before the end of the season because whoever they're going to go for is unlikely to be available. Just now, they may have to wait until the end of the, the, the end of the season. So you're not an Alan Pardew man, then. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay, we're going to move on to your piece, Gary. And I suppose um, a lot of the themes of what we've already discussed will come up in this. But you've you've uh, had a look at who you think Rangers should let go of and who, who they should keep into next season. And um, glorious, glorious nonsense. By the way, which all of this is, you know, Scottish football, it's what it is. It's glorious nonsense, right? So I've said some should stay and some should go, and some people are frothing at the mouth. It's an opinion, <laughs> an opinion are like belly buttons. We've, we've all got them. They don't hold a lot of water. So <laughs> let's not get too vexed about them, you know? Well, we're going to get vexed. Let's get vexed. <laughs> First of all, Scott, um, I'm going to put. I'm going to see if you agree with Gary, because okay. he's got Wes Fodderingham. Rangers should let him go. What do you think? I don't know if I would actively look to get rid of him, but if I bid come in for West Fodringham, I wouldn't be no, any kind of reasonable bid or any profit Rangers might make on him. I, d- I don't think too many punters would be that no, that disappointed to, to see him go. Um, we spoke about Fodringham on here before. I think he's a decent keeper, um, but no more than that. Uh, I don't think he makes enough saves. I think... Rangers have conceded goals this season that he should have saved or Rangers goalkeepers should be saving. Uh, I think he's very good with the ball at his feet, which is obviously why he was brought in under Mark Warburton. Um, Less of an issue now, though, given uh, that the style of play has changed. The style of play has changed. So, no, listen, I think he's a decent a decent keeper. I don't think he's done Rangers a bad turn, but if a, if a serious bid came in, then uh, I don't think... 
I think they should they would certainly look at it. I say they should go for all of these reasons as well as I, as I agree with Scott. But the one thing I, I would say in his favour is that it can't be easy for him playing in front of such a porous defence yeah, and a, and a defence that has changed so often, particularly in the, the, in the in the in the centre half positions. But you know he's still not making as many saves as he as he should, and he's still vulnerable for me to set pieces and, and, and shots from distance. Yeah, well, one of the the points you made there, Gary, about uh, shots from distance, I actually went and looked at the stats, and he is letting more goals than any other keeper in the Premier League he's letting 10 goals from distance uh, Craig Gordon's letting 5 and he's letting more free kicks than any other goalkeeper in the league so the stats certainly back up what you were saying there Partic- and, 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 and you would add exactly that those stats will be exacerbated by the fact that he's playing for Rangers who are winning the majority of the still win enough for the for the punters but they're still winning the, the majority of the, of, the, of the games so that only kind of Dams them still further. The fact that the, the, those stats are, are so skewed against them. Okay, a, sl- a controversial one here because I disagree with you on this. Uh, you've, you've said that you think James Tavernier should be one that uh, Rangers should yeah. be looking I would, to move I would, on. I would, I would, I would, I would if, if Rangers can get money for Tavernier, and then you know, let's talk about oh, he's he's, he's improving so on, and, and he has, he's done better defensively. I would take the money and uh, I would reinvest it in, in my back line. Rangers' whole problem in the last two or three seasons has been their defence's inability to keep clean sheets. Their defence simply hasn't been good enough and until Rangers build a solid foundation of, an, of, of a defence, they won't go anywhere in Scottish football. So if they get Tavernier, sell him and bring in a right-back or put Ryan Jack to right-back, as I've suggested, or go and get a right-back, I would think the boy at Motherwell might do you a better job defensively, Richard Tate, and still be able to assist in forward areas than uh, than, than Tavernier. Um, but I think that Rangers need to have a, a change of mind, a change of attitude around their defence, because they're far too open. So it's part of an overall move towards a more... Yeah. Robust defence. Defences win your leagues. Defences win your leagues. Um, and Rangers are a long, long way off of winning leagues again. But that is ultimately their ambition. And until they get that... So what did Walter Smith first thing he did when he came back in in 1997? He strengthened the defence. He yeah. bought Ugo Eke, Ogini Bott, David Weir. You know, that's where, Rangers need to, that's where Rangers need to focus on. The only thing I'd say about Taverni is I would keep him uh, at Rangers, but... I agree with Gary, defensively has to be more solid that that goal on Saturday, as we've touched on, was, was really poor. But to me, Taverni does the he does the hard bit of being a modern day fullback. The hard bit is getting forward and providing quality in the final third and scoring goals for fullback assists. He does all that. To me the easy bit is teaching him how to how to defend. He's got all the he should have all the attributes to be, to go and be a good defensive right back as well as going forward I just don't think he's the manager yet who's sat him down and said listen we need to work on the defensive side of your game I think if a, I think if a Walter Smith for instance went into Ibrox tomorrow he would almost immediately get, get James Taverney defending I'm sorry better. I think it's too late but age is he now 26, 27 he's yep. no 17 or 18 he's 26 or 27 and he's, he's he, listen he's a smashing player going forward I get that but you look at his undisciplined <laughs> I think he cost Rangers the old firm game 
um, the three-two game, um, and and it was a, a wonderful thing that um, Brendan Rodgers uh, uh, did was when he put on Odson Edward, and he didn't tell him to play through the middle. He just told him to drift to the left because he knew that Tavernier would gallop up the pitch because there's still an indiscipline there. And what happened when Tavernier galloped up the pitch? Celtic broke in the counter. Ed, Odson Edward pulls away to the left in splendid isolation. The boy Fabio Cardoso's towing one of Pedro's caravans, yeah. and Odson uh, Edward cuts inside and curls a beautiful winner in. And where was uh, and where was was James Tavernier, ten or fifteen metres away from the action? There's no doubt that Tavernier has defensive deficiencies, but I would argue that if he had a more settled back line alongside him, and certainly a central defensive midfield player that was instructed to cover the space that he left, you would more maximise his ability going forward. Yeah, but I would argue that if I was going to with Kyle Minogue, I wouldn't be hitting the pub on a Friday and a Saturday night. So, 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 so you can't always get what you want. So if you don't always get what you want, you get what you need, as Mick Jagger, I think, once said. So he, it's up to him then to, be, to, to, to accept the responsibility for what he's not got and try to adapt his, his uh, try to adapt his game to that. Okay, right, we're going to move on to Bruno Alves. Again, Gary, you've said go. This is slightly less controversial. Um, he's a he's a guy that had a lot of praise at the start, but slowly but surely, I think people have started to look at him and say, for the huge wages, I believe it's something like £30,000 a week, um, they're starting to question whether or not Rangers are getting value for money. Nah, it's just not worked, Johnny. Bruno Alves, I mean, uh, I thought it was a good signing at the time. Uh, I thought he would be a... No, not only did I think he'd be a good player for Rangers at the back, I thought he would become a bit of a leader, a bit of a, an ambassador, big personality. Um, but it's just not happened. Um, he, he hasn't, to me, he hasn't really taken on that role. I know, I know he's, not been, he's not been fit enough, he's missed a lot of games, uh, but... I, the games he's played in, I don't think he's played well enough. And also that that other side of it, that leadership and you know, kind of leader of men, I, I just don't think he's. I don't think he's took that on. You guys have been around him, and I'm sure the fans will be interested to know like what kind of a guy he is. Has he given you that um, impression that perhaps this isn't the football for him? That he's he's not that happy here or anything like that? Because that's been the 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 intimation by a lot of pieces that I've read. What people have been saying that. Maybe this isn't uh, for him. This league, it's very no, physical. I remember, he talked about the Portuguese second division being similar to the. It's, it's not. It's not that he's given me that impression, but he just doesn't come across the way I thought he would. No, and, and that's what I'm talking about. About being the leader, of it, being the spokesman of the team. You no, know, the the kind of real figurehead. I mean, he came into the for part press room after the game and Saturday. He was the player that was put up, and you expect a guy like Alves, no, the standards that he must have set for himself, things he's achieved in his career, to come in there and be really disappointed at that performance, disappointed at the result, no, maybe even no, point a few fingers, whatever. But he just came in, I mean, it was it was pretty lame. No, you, you got the feeling he was actually quite relieved to get out of to get out of Motherwell with a point, you no, know, given the, the kind of torrid time that he had in the in the first half. And I think it's just no worked. I, I agree with, with Gary. I mean if Rangers can, can cut their losses and, and move them uh, move them on the summer then I, I think they'll do that. Yeah, I, I, I think for Alves, he was brought in as Cachinha's man. He was brought in as his hired hand. He was going to be his assassin, his yeah. midfield, uh, his, sorry, his defensive kingpin. And I think when Cachinha goes, then I think that um, the standing that Alves may well have had with a, with a, with his manager 
on his side might have led him to be a more forceful personality around the place but I think when cashinia has gone I think he's probably had a look at the, 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 the movie and said well this isn't for me I'll see out my contract and then because uh, I think is he only contracted for the, for the for till the end of the, the, the summer I, I'm no he's, sure got, he's got another year I, 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 I would be I would be astonished if there wasn't a break clause in there and after the World Cup he either retires or he um, you know he, he goes back to play Portuguese football or or, or a, a style of football that's perhaps more suited to his uh, to his football dotage. Okay, um, Goss, Sean Goss, you said you've not been impressed. We sat here and talked about him for about twenty minutes. We were very impressed in the first few games. Yes, he's faded. Don't you see something in there? Well, listen, I, I do, but um, again, it's the fact that Rangers are going and getting loan signings for six months. If you go and get a loan signing for six months. You're going to have to get players that you can absolutely rely on, and I don't like necessarily the the use of the loan market for these short-term deals. I don't think that the, I'm trying to think of a loan signing that's worked for Rangers in the last couple of seasons. A lot of them have come up with great flashes, but then disappeared. Nathan Odua, for example, Dominic Ball, who is now kind of struggling to get into the team at Aberdeen as well. Even the boy Emerson Hindman, I thought was lightweight at times. The John Toral, the the kid for um, um, for Arsenal as well, Zalalem, um, yeah. who I thought was was lightweight too, and and Goss, I, I think the the old firm games for me for Celtic and Rangers players, they are always the. The, the, the zenith they're, they're, the, they're the games that separate the men from the boys and I'm afraid a few weeks ago at Ibrox he, uh, he just looked uh, he just looked lost and, and, and overrun and overawed in the centre of the midfield I think it depends how much you can get him for John it depends how much QPR are going to be looking for at the end of the season I mean it might if Rangers do have an interest in keeping Goss long term it might actually work for them that he's no, he's not kicked a ball in the last few weeks. He has went off after Boyle. Uh, he did play poorly in the, the Celtic game, so there might actually be an opportunity to go and get him for a reasonable price. Uh, if, and again, it's it's all up there. Who, who's going to be the manager? You know, when when Rangers come to making these making these decisions, uh, I don't doubt Graham Murphy will be a big fan if he was going to get the job long term. He probably would look at trying to get Goss on a permanent deal, but. That's obviously looking more unlikely with every, with every game that passes. So that one's totally up in the air. But certainly if QPR turn around the summer and say, no, we're looking for we're looking for two million quid for this boy, then it's not gonna it's not gonna happen, I'm afraid. I think a more realistic figure would be something like five hundred grand, which is what yeah. they paid. And I think for me, based on what I've seen in, in the early games, if Rangers get the opportunity to take him at that price, given what he's got the potential to do Ibrox, big open wide pitch. Yeah, and his age, he's still young age. enough. I think you should take a punt on him. And finally, Gary, of, of all the ones that you've got here, I was expecting to get to uh, Josh Windass and see a go, but actually, you think they should uh, persevere? He's what, 23, 24, and I know I'm kind of saying about Tavernier's too young to learn, but <laughs> exactly. uh, too old to learn. Um, but there is a player in Windass. Listen, you can't take 17 goals out of your team, um, but there comes a point where. You know the, the 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 boy himself. He's a hugely frustrating player because the goals he scores, some of the positions that he takes up are great. It's just it's just the dirty side of football that he won't do or that he doesn't do enough of. The tracking back, the you know the tackling. I think he's kind of careless in possession sometimes. He comes alive in and around the the, the 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 penalty box, but Rangers need more from him. I think. 
Aye, totally frustrating. But we've spoken about Winda so many times on here. Um, he does do things that you marvel at at times. But on Saturday, Gary touched on it earlier. As soon as the game becomes a battle, to me, you no, know, too often Winda disappears. Um, doesn't help the other guys in midfield behind him. Uh, I mean, even in the second half on Saturday, when Rangers kind of got a foothold. Dorans and Docker here kind of you no know, busting a gut going you no know, kind of box to box I didn't see that for Windas um, it is difficult to take that amount of goals out the team uh, and he has scored good goals important goals for them but is he really giving them enough uh, I don't think so I would I would, I would take him out of the team. We talked about it off air, didn't we, with regards to Jamie Murphy being a player you can hang your hat on. He's like yeah. what you were talking about earlier, Gary. He's mm-hmm. a Walter Smith-style player in that uh, you can just bank on him doing something, getting you out of a hole. That's what Josh Windass needs to instill in himself somehow because he's got all the all the tools. He's got the pace, yeah. he's got the power, he's got the physique. Yeah, Murphy, Murphy's capable of going taking, even though he's a winger and he's, he's, he's actually physically quite slight. He's, he's capable of going taking a game, but it's scruffy the neck. You know, when you're struggling and you, know, you feel you, know, you need to make something happen, Murphy's capable of it. He did that on Saturday. He's done it a few times since he arrived. Uh, and you're right, Windass, to me, doesn't take that responsibility. He's not got, no got that in him yet. Whether a manager can, can try and instill that in him or try and get more out of him, I'm not sure. Um, but if Rangers were to get a big bid, I mean... Obviously, clubs have been sniffing about Windass already in the January window, um, and Rangers obviously felt the offers weren't high enough. But if a big bid for England came in in the summer, uh, like I said before, during them, I think Rangers would, would need to look at it. Okay, we're going to move on now because we're getting close to our time. Um, just want to look back on and the events of 25 years ago this week when Rangers played Marseille in the Velodrome. Unbelievably, it was a de facto semi-final of the European Cup. It was, the, I think, the first Champions League. Um, and Rangers, if they'd won the game, would have been in absolutely pole position to go into the final. Gary, what's your memories of that game? I was at the first game. I, was, I worked at the first game and I can just remember a pouring wet night at Ibrox. I think it was at November 92, something like that. And um, and Marcy were good. I mean, they had Bolly uh, and they had uh, the, the Sozy in the middle of the park yeah. and they had Rudy Voller yeah. up front. Boxy, uh, I remember Pelly, the Boxage, Pelly. Um, I remember the, the boy. Angle. I remember the boy for Radio Clyde doing the interview with Rudy Voller and uh, before the game and he was asking him questions in German and Rudy Voller was uh, uh, answering in perfect English. I don't know what he <laughs> made of that in Super Scoreboard, but anyway. Um, but Rangers showed as they did in that. Whole um, uh, that whole campaign, they showed terrific uh, guts and determination to get back into it from Hately and uh, and, and and McSwiggan, um, and I still see Durant's shot with the outside his right yeah. foot for the equaliser in the uh, in the velodrome. I, I'm not so sure on the night that Rangers. Well, in fact, I'm convinced on the night that Rangers didn't do enough uh, to win that game. Um, but 
oh, that was a that was a that was a ride for the Rangers fans. I still remember the name of the CSKA Moscow goalkeeper. His name was Yevgeny Plotnikov, and he was pulling them out the out the net at Ibrox the nil nil game. And I and think it was, it was a third the night choice, that, wasn't he? That, that, aye, it was the night that um, Marseille were playing Bruges. Even if Rangers had won, I don't think it would have made a difference in the end. Um, I think Marseille might even have hammered Bruges, but um, yeah, the, a few the dodgy mem- goals the, not Marseille Bruges game. The memory, uh, the memory goes. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, it was. I think it's the closest any Scottish team. The first time a Scottish team are representing the Champions League, and I think it's probably the closest any Scottish team will ever get to a final. Yeah, it was. It was. It was one nil. Marseille scored in the I think third or fourth minute. Alan Boxic and they just they played the game out. It was one nil. That was it. But the, the game that was I think uh, a little bit questionable was. Uh, uh, Marseille against Cisco Moscow, CSKA Moscow. Yeah. Uh, it was six 0 over in. Mm. The, well, I wasn't their ground actually. I think no, we Rangers played, played neutral ground. CSKA Moscow Bochum, and Because yeah. I remember I was on the Rangers team bus that night. I, rem- I still remember uh, John Brown was. Uh, um, as a journalist was, uh, or just generally? Honky tonk, honk, I was on as a journalist. Honky tonk woman. Uh, that was his. Uh, that was a pre-match <laughs> tune being belted out. There. I still remember Bomber. Uh, all this stuff about wasting energy before the game. But oh, he was he was inspirational. He was up in the aisles and banging his fist, knocking into the stadium. He couldn't wait to get going. It was uh, it was red meat for him and Ian Ferguson kind of scoffed a six minute six minute winner. Right. But, uh, freezing cold day in Bochum. Man. It's, it's weird the, the stuff you remember though. I mean, obviously. Durant's goal in Marseille is the thing that sticks out but Marseille's goal I don't know why it sticks in my mind but it was a really poor clearance for David Robertson that that led to Marseille's goal Um, I just remember after the game thinking God that that clearance that kind of botched clearance early on in a game just a simple thing that led to a goal could be could have cost him do you know what I mean? Um, Goron got his hand to it as well, the shot from uh, Suze. Yeah, that's right. A great effort. I know, and it's funny what you remember as well, because I remember the Rangers team uh, uh, were staying in Essen uh, for the CSK Moscow game. And I remember in the morning of the game, uh, Walter Smith took the team. Uh, I've catched a lift as, as well. It's how you imagine Brendan Rogers saying to a couple of the press guys, hey, come on along the team bus. Anyway, <laughs> before that game against Barcelona. But... Uh, we catched a catched a lift in the in the team bus, and they went to train on a local sports ground that should have been open for them, and it wasn't. And so they considered jumping over the fence to get onto the pitch, but they said no. And in the end, they went back, and there was a wee square bit of grass in front of the hotel, and that's where Rangers prepared for the game that night. It was just a, a patch of grass, and they just kind of knocked a couple of balls about in front of this hotel in the in the centre of Industrial Essen before they went out to play CSK Moscow that night, and they uh, and they won one 0 But they knew that the gods were with them, and uh, Big Scott Nisbet. Um, yeah. Putting that uh, that one against the winner against Bruges at Ibrox. What when, a strike uh, that was! When uh, <laughs> when Big Hately get uh, when Big Hately get sent off, and I know Big Hately still raises his eyebrows at uh, the referee's decision yeah. that night and so wondered if there was more than if there was more than yeah if you know if it was more than a, a card that was uh, a red and yellow card that was put in the referee's pocket that night. But uh, yeah, it was um, they were a, they were a great Rangers team that. And here's a debate for down the pub for old Firm fans: What record is best? The 44-game undefeated run of Rangers in 92-93, which included domestic and, crucially, um, European games or Celtic's invincible season last season uh, domestically. 
I've got to say I think Rangers do it for 44 games in the Champions League as well to include Champions League Champions League qualifiers um, to go undefeated in the Champions League's are an incredible achievement Walter yeah. almost battered one of the photographers I remember that as well when they played Lingby in the Parkin Stadium Michael Schofield worked for the Rangers News at the time and he's a great guy Michael and he was so naive the Rangers were kind of hanging on at the end they were, it was like 2-1 in aggregate or whatever it was and they, the, the Danes are, um, are, are pushing in the last minute to get a, a goal that would have won the tie or taken it to extra time whatever it was and uh, the ball was knocked out of play and Michael was down near the, the, the Rangers goal so and the ball dropped at his feet and <laughs> Michael naively just kicked the ball back at the Lingby fullback, you know, so he could take a quick throw in. Oh, Walter went absolutely mental. Don't you effing and blind and don't you ever do that again? Poor, poor, poor Michael. He's got grey hair now, and I think that was the start. He's uh, grey roots coming in that night. <laughs> Scott, how, how, how do you reflect on what came after with Bernard Tappy and the, the match fixing allegations? Do you think that nowadays, if that had happened, there would have been more fanfare about? The results of that season and the fact that it was potentially a you know a, a tainted European yeah. Cup. Well, without a doubt, because I mean, look at social media. I mean, what, what would social media have been like if those kind of revelations no came about after that? And I, I'm oh, he's sh- a wrong. He's a wrong. He's a wrong because Tappy's uh, investigation was all about French domestic yeah, football. Sh- it had nothing to do with the Champions League and nothing no, to do with the European. And I remember at the time there was a there was talk about oh let's replay the European Cup final, put Rangers into the, the game against was it AC Milan that yeah. Basil Ball scored. And John Brown summed it up at the time. He says, "What's the point?" He says, "It's gone." You know that you know you've just got to move on from uh, from from these things. Look, lick your wounds and and get away from it. Bernard Tappy, although he was clearly a rascal. Um, there was no nothing found of match fixing and rigging in a European context that season. It, it was all did, in French did domestic raise question, Did raise a lot of questions, or a lot of eyebrows. Yeah, we like a conspiracy yeah. theory here on the Record Rangers podcast, Gary. Look, Come on, look at the Marseille Bruges. I know you're saying Marseille CSK, but look at the Marseille Bruges game, the final night, and the Mar- it was very flat after the Marseille goal yeah. comes from a, a Bruges player passing the ball straight to a. A Marseille player. That's just a fact. No. Where were you watching this game for your grassy nose? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Honestly, was there a book depository in the, in the outside Bruges? Seriously, and no enough. <clears throat> listen, no, I don't think enough was, was made of that. that. That goal was seriously, seriously dodgy. Uh, and no, you're right, Tappy. It was, of course, it was domestic stuff. and but I think with social media and that, that would have, that would have set fire if, if it's the way it is. The it's way the way that now. Dundee United 1984 as well. Oh, that was even worse. Yeah, could you know could the could Roma have ever not made a European Cup final given that it was being played on their own in the yeah. Olympic Stadium in Rome? This wee team from from Dundee, wee Jim was the architect of his own misfortune then because they won two 0 at Tanadice and the Italian journalist tongue in cheek says to him, "What drugs were your players on tonight, Mister McLean?" And he says. I don't know, but we'll be on the same ones for the return. You know, he was being sarcastic back, but sarcasm never translates well in print. Yeah. And so this was the Italian journalist took this as Dundee United are all on drugs, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if we Jim paid for them or if we talked about their, their wages, eh? And if you think Scots are bad for conspiracy theories, the Italians are much, much worse. That's all from us. We'll be back next midweek with more news and analysis of all things Rangers. If you want to get in touch with us to continue the debate, you can. I'm on Twitter at Johnny R. McFarlane and Scott is at Scott McDermott 8. Gary doesn't want to talk to you at all, so just leave him alone. Um, don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe at iTunes or Audio Boom to get the podcast as soon as it becomes available. And if you liked it, 
please review and rate us on there too. Thanks for listening. of desire.